The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. All talk here in Washington, D.C. turns to President-elect Joe Biden's administration. Historically speaking, the markets have performed better when there is divided government. The biggest pressure for fiscal stimulus is an uptick in cases. Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. Biden has promised again and again that he will unite the country. State governments control elections. That's in the Constitution. I think that we can expect a smooth, thoughtful, methodical transition. This is... Is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Lame Duck Trump has potential to upset markets with final acts. What will he do ahead of the Georgia special runoff election? Meanwhile, stocks rise to a 10-week high with rally in big tech. And this COVID surge is America's longest and it's getting longer. We have a lot to get through, including what President Trump could do in his final months in office. This, as President-elect Joe Biden continues to get ready for his transition, and we're going to cover all of that. But we begin tonight with a big national story. This COVID surge is America's longest, and it's getting longer. Bloomberg's Jonathan Levin reports on the terminal, the American pandemic's most sustained increase in COVID-19 infections appears poised to get even longer, a worrisome indicator for overworked doctors and nurses. The nationwide uptick in cases that became noticeable around mid-September is now in its ninth week, counting from the previous low point in the seven-day average. That's a longer run than the March-April tragedy that unfolded largely in the Northeast, and the June-July upswing that hit the Sun Belt hardest. According to tracking information by hospitalizations, the picture is similarly grim. In this third surge, patients hospitalized with COVID-19 started increasing more than seven weeks ago, the longest streak yet. Take a listen to what governors had to say earlier today, including Governor Charlie Baker of Massachusetts and Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York, plus... Governor Larry Hogan, the centrist Republican of Maryland, here they are. The virus has returned to our state in a big way. More people are getting infected with the virus. More people are being hospitalized. More people are going into intensive care. And more Marylanders are dying. I can't think of a worse time to stall a transition than amid a deadly pandemic that the federal government continues to own primary responsibility for responding to. If the national numbers are going up, and the states around you are going up, uh, be prepared. Jordan Fabian is a Bloomberg White House reporter. Jordan, is the current administration taking this seriously, and what can they be doing in order to better prepare states for this uptick in cases that we're also seeing around the world? It's hard to tell if they're taking it more seriously, Kevin, because we haven't had a coronavirus task force update publicly in, in months now. Uh, those briefings will all but stop for the press. We do know that the task force met last week under the supervision of Vice President Mike Pence. Uh, but it seems like at this point, the administration is putting all of its eggs in the vaccine basket. They were touting that news about a, the Pfizer uh, study that showed uh, their 
candidate is possibly 90 percent effective. Uh, but public health officials all across the country are warning until that vaccine is available for the vast majority of Americans that people need to still practice social distancing, wear masks, and take those precautions that they've been urging for months in order to stop the disease's spread. You know, I'm on my Bloomberg terminal and I'm following along with the COVID tracking project. Of course, Johns Hopkins University data really at the forefront of this. Nationally, the U.S. reported 135,000, more than 135,000 new COVID-19 cases just yesterday alone, bringing the seven-day average to a record 123,000. Meanwhile, there were 1,393 deaths, which put the seven-day average above 1,000. This is the first time that there have been more than 1,000 deaths in the seven-day average since August 20th. Overall, there's been nearly 240,000 fatalities as a result of COVID-19. I, I say this data, Jordan, because, folks, what we're going through in terms of the uptick, we have not seen we have not seen this since mid-April. The U.S. hit a record 61,964 patients currently in hospitals with COVID-19 just alone on yesterday. And the previous high, the previous record, daily record for hospitalizations was on April 15th. Jordan, it would appear that states are going to have no choice but to take a look at the hard data and, and, and make some difficult decisions as Americans enter into holiday season. You're right, Kevin, because that guidance isn't coming, at least publicly, from the federal government. So it's going to be incumbent upon these states to make the decisions themselves. And what's going to make it even more complicated, though, is that you're going to have Americans traveling uh, for the holidays, even though that public health officials are warning against large gatherings. I mean, inevitably, there are going to be people traveling to see their friends and relatives, and uh, they're, they're possibly going to be traveling back home and, and possibly carrying the virus with them and seeding new infections. And that's what has uh, the public health officials so concerned is that not only are we seeing this rise, it's going to come in a period where uh, there's going to be even more possibilities to spread the virus all around. Meanwhile, President Trump uh, also making different news with regards to Pentagon's leadership. You report, uh, or our colleagues rather, Tony Capaccio leading the team, reporting a flurry of changes in the Pentagon's top ranks is underway as President Trump elevates longtime allies in moves that critics say sends a signal of turmoil in the leadership of the U.S. military just after uh, a contentious election. What are your sources telling you uh, at the White House, Jordan, about whether or not there's going to be additional moves in the coming weeks? Well, Kevin, it's been a bit of a black box, but I think all the public speculation has pointed to a possible another round of firings or, or resignations in other places in the U.S. government. Uh, people have been speculating for a long time about the FBI director, Christopher Wray, who the president has publicly criticized repeatedly, and also the CIA director, Gina Haskell, and you know, the president's a longtime critic of the intelligence community. And I'll note that Gina Haskell was on Capitol Hill uh, the other day this week meeting with the Senate Majority Leader, Mitch McConnell. Uh, they both have some Kentucky ties. And uh, a lot of people were wondering why that meeting was happening, whether it's possible that Haskell was going to McConnell for some support with the president, uh, because, of course, those two men are allies. So we'll have to see what happens, whether the president takes this further. But uh, he does appear to be targeting some longtime 
foes or perceived foes in the federal government in the final stretch of his administration. Do your sources understand that President-elect Joe Biden's inauguration is January 20th? You know, some people I talk to, Kevin, in Trump world do acknowledge that, and and they do think that the president will eventually acknowledge that. But but there are others who who don't acknowledge it and, and are sort of fully in the tank for this effort to somehow overturn the results of the election. And there's one, you know, I'll point out, Kevin, with the FBI director, if the president does move to uh, remove Christopher Ray, that would be removing a Republican FBI director and allowing Joe Biden to appoint somebody else to fill that role. And so that would be the unintended consequence of such a, that, of such a move. Okay, so if that wasn't enough to keep Washington busy with the uptick in COVID-19 cases, the developments coming from President Trump's final weeks in office with regards to shakeups at the Pentagon, there's also fiscal stimulus. Now, earlier today, Congressman Brendan Boyle, Democrat from Pennsylvania, uh, frequently a guest on this program, he spoke with my colleague David Weston on Balance and Power about whether or not there can be a stimulus deal in the lame duck session. Here he is will be doing this long-stalled COVID relief bill. We right now have the worst numbers during the entire pandemic. It is badly needed. Um, we passed two different bills out of the House of Representatives. We think we've been close to agreement with Secretary Mnuchin and the administration. The Senate Republican side has been the real stumbling block. And so I hope now that the election is beyond us, we could finally uh, reach an agreement we got a minute left. Jordan, are are your sources optimistic that there could be a lame duck deal? There's hope, I would say, Kevin, but not optimism. Because Is there serious? Uh, let me Congress interrupt. Let me ask a better question because this yeah. is my fault. Are there serious discussions taking place about this? Uh, maybe among the lawmakers, but we haven't seen a ton of engagement from the administration, and that's what's going to be needed to get us across the finish line. It's always going to have needed a, a nudge from the president. Uh, to get these holdout Republican senators to fall in line. And there's no indication that the president is prepared to do that. We haven't seen him in almost a week, uh, or at least seen him speak publicly. Uh, You know, he's been holed up in the White House, and it doesn't really appear that he's engaged Mm -hmm. in these talks. All right, Jordan Fabian, Bloomberg White House reporter. Excellent reporting. Thank you so much for your time. And coming up, we pivot to the economy. What happened in the markets today? We're going to check in with an economist uh, on that front. John Authors, the John Authors, senior editor for Markets of Bloomberg Opinion. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. My name's Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. So here we are on a rainy day in Washington. I get a call from my friend Tammy. I say, Tam, what's up? She goes, you got to get to Dog Tag Bakery. I said, I was just there yesterday. I, I've had too much coffee today. I don't need any more coffee. She goes, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris is getting coffee at Dog Tag. I said, no. On Veterans Day? 
So our friends over at Dog Tag Bakery, who just do incredible, incredible work for veterans, they're going to check in with us in the next hour uh, to give us uh, a lowdown on what did what did the vice president-elect Kamala Harris get at Dog Tag Bakery? Got to find out, folks. Got to find out. Anyway, for the record, we're going to be in special golf programming tomorrow. Um, my dad had a rule that Cirillis don't golf and Cirillis don't ski. I've been skiing a couple times in my life. Sorry, dad, but I've only been golfing once, but so I'm not the best golf fan, but I know many people are, and you can listen to all of the golf, uh, tomorrow and Friday. And I have off, uh, until next Tuesday. So I'll be back from, uh, my slumber. I don't know. I'm not doing anything. Uh, next Tuesday. And we've got a lot to talk about, obviously, as well. Okay, enough about me. Let's talk about the market. Stocks climbed as giant tech companies rallied in a shift back to the safety trade that has powered this year's gains amid speculation the economic recovery will be slow with a virus resurgence. The S&P 500 rose to the highest since September 2nd, while the NASDAQ 100 jumped more than 2%. Heavyweights, Apple, Amazon surged alongside some stay-at-home shares that were hit hard by this week's sell-off, such as Zoom, because of the result of the uh, positive developments on the vaccination front. Okay, so my colleagues uh, on Bloomberg Television and Radio spoke with Mark Mobius earlier today. He's the co-founder, obviously, of Mobius Capital Partners, uh, and he says that the markets will begin to bounce back next year as a suitable vaccine nears the consumer market for the mass public. Take a listen to what Mark said. So I think uh, uh, the picture looks very, very good beginning next year. As I mentioned many times, I think we're going to have a V-shaped recovery. And I think it's based on the fact that this uh, COVID-19 fear will be over. Joining us now to help understand what happened in the markets today, as well as to play this forward on what the Pfizer vaccination front means for for the economic side of things is John Authors. I am so incredibly grateful that he's become a frequent guest on this program because he is a senior editor for Markets and Bloomberg Opinion Columnist. And of course, he has had decades long career in in. Uh, at the Financial Times uh, before joining us here at Bloomberg. So, John, thank you truly for joining us. Okay, so let's start with what happened in the markets today and how the developments where I am in Washington, D.C., on the transition front, the fiscal stimulus front, some of the uncertainty coming from Washington front. Um, how is that impacting investors? Well, they all impact in different ways. There's the, the thing is that there are so many different cross-cutting factors at the moment. The one thing that is, I have to say, surprised me is that um, given the real stubbornness or the, you know, the, the, the uh, apparent clear intent by, uh, by Trump to uh, not to concede and to try to make a contested election of this, which is something that was much feared for you know, months reading scenario analysis from investment analysts about what would happen uh, if he did try to contest the results of an election he lost. It's quite interesting that the market has taken it, is taking it so calmly. And oddly enough, quite an indictment for, for, for Donald Trump that basically investors aren't taking him seriously. They think he's huffing and puffing. Um, uh, let's hope the investors are right about that. Um, when it comes to the virus, you have this very strange situation where the vaccine is, you know, there's no way to call it other than 
good news, but what it means is that you've had, I would say, the biggest rotation ever in terms of switching around within the markets and the, you know, a lot of the really intense interest in the uh, the big tech names that were seen as sort of being immune to the virus has has gone. So a lot of those companies took a big step back while companies like AMC rose 50% the day the vaccine came out. You know, the, the, if you're a cinema operator, that's really very major good, major good news. What we've seen today is what you generally expect in the physics of, of markets. You've seen a slight bounce back. Um, which is, is no surprise at all after you know, a really massive savage move after the first vaccine news. But basically the picture remains that we're, uh, uh, people are feeling very much more positive than they were because of the vaccine. That, for the time being, blocks yeah. out negativity about the stimulus and about the political uncertainty. Okay. okay. John Authors is with us, senior editor for Markets and Bloomberg columnist. John, I say this seriously. Are the markets hoping for a photo finish of, of sorts on the vaccination front? And what I mean by that is the developments with Pfizer on Monday played out above the fold on print newspapers uh, uh, on Tuesday and obviously dominated the websites and and, and social and, and obviously the terminal on Monday. But it, it almost felt like that's, and we saw the market reaction. Are they hoping for, you know, this, this, this image of, of people getting a shot, uh, mass produced? But do, because based upon my reporting and what the scientists are telling us is that it's going to be a gradual rollout. Do you get what I'm, get what I'm trying to get at? Oh, no, 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 exactly. I, I, I'd make two points about that. First, certainly I agree with you that, that um, just because... The, the news on Monday was genuinely good in that we, we knew they were going to get test results around about now. The fact that it appears to be 90% effective really is great news. It was not in the price that you would, you know, the first vaccine to get this far would appear to work this well. So, you know, that, that's genuinely that's great good news. news. You, yeah. you, but, but it's, 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 but we are talking literally about a military operation, military level of logistics needed to get this into enough arms. And obviously, particularly in this country, there are plenty of people who are going to refuse to have it. Um, what matters now, there are two things. One is that it's great that we've got one vaccine that works, but there are limits on capacity and we want more vaccines that work. So we'll be here. Oops. But the other one that will really interest people is the one from Oxford because that one does that one only requires refrigeration rather than to be kept in minus 100 degrees. It becomes far easier to, to distribute in the developing world. It's a much easier uh, vaccine to distribute. And there were also some in the pipeline that hope they can do it with only one shot rather than two, which also makes the logistics much easier. So yes, this is this is far from over. It's just that fact that that test was that successful that had that big an impact in terms, and it brings forward by a few months the notional period when we can begin to get back to normal. That's what markets care about. It doesn't mean people in the market seriously think we can go back to normal tomorrow because that ain't happening. That's definitely not the case. Okay, I have like one minute left with you, but I've always wanted to ask you yeah, this. Sure. How did Sorry, you I, get I No, 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 no. Yeah. You're so brilliant. I mean, I mean truly, I'm, I'm so grateful. How did you get into yeah, what? Yeah. What made you want to get into these issues as a reporter? Into the issues of, of, of the vaccine? Or of no, no, the, no, no, uh, no, 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 no. How did you get to where you are? 
quickly. Like what, made, what was the driving force that you wanted to be interested in markets? Now we have like 30 seconds. <laughs> various other people didn't give me jobs, and various people who were interested in markets did. More I importantly than that, if there is anything, uh, if there is anything that. If, the people that the place that's always first with the news is the market. The day that there was the coup against Gorbachev back in 1990, which was my first year at the Financial Times, you knew about it because the screens had gone red. Wow! Everybody okay. knew it immediately. Oh, this is uh, brilliant. The, the news breaks first on markets. It gets John Authors. Than it does on Bloomberg or CNN. John Authors, I feel like we're going to be friends. All right, John Authors, I cannot thank you enough. Uh, brilliant. Just brilliant. I mean, seriously, folks. That's why I love my job. John Author, Senior Editor for Markets and Bloomberg Opinion Columnist. Thank you, sir, for educating us and for giving us uh, making time for us on this program. Uh, much more coming up next. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. All talk here in Washington, D.C. turns to President-elect Joe Biden's administration. Historically speaking, the markets have performed better when there is divided government. The biggest pressure for fiscal stimulus is an uptick in cases. Bloomberg Sound Off. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. Biden has promised again and again that he will unite the country. State governments control elections. That's in the Constitution. I think that we can expect a smooth, thoughtful, methodical transition. This is... Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. This COVID surge is America's longest and it's getting longer. What can be done to stop the spread? Plus, stocks rise to a 10-week high with rally in big tech and Georgia still on everyone's mind. What does it mean for control of the Senate? We check in with one lawmaker on Capitol Hill. All of that plus... Ronna Romney McDaniel suggests a Biden wind, the chairwoman of the Republican National Committee. We've got a lot to cover and an all-star panel. Uh, I want to wish a happy Veterans Day to all of Americans' veterans as well as their families. We recognize, honor, uh, and are grateful for their service. We're going to catch up with my friends over at Dog Tag Bakery uh, later on this hour. But we begin tonight uh, with a pressing matter. This COVID surge is America's longest and it's getting longer. The American pandemic's most sustained increase in COVID-19 infections appears poised to get even longer, a worrisome indicator for overworked doctors and nurses. The nationwide uptick in cases that became noticeable around mid-September is now in its ninth week, counting from the previous low point in the seven-day average. That's a longer run than the March-April tragedy that unfolded largely in the Northeast and the June-July upswing that hit the Sun Belt hardest. Across the country, governors are taking notice and now having to impact new restrictions in their states. Take a listen to Governor Charlie Baker of Massachusetts, Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York, and Governor Larry Hogan of Maryland. The virus has returned to our state in a big way. More people are getting infected with the virus. More people are being hospitalized. More people are going into intensive care. 
and more Marylanders are dying. I can't think of a worse time to stall a transition than amid a deadly pandemic that the federal government continues to own primary responsibility for responding to. If the national numbers are going up and the states around you are going up, uh, be prepared. According to the Bloomberg Terminal data trackers on COVID-19, fueled by John Hopkins University research, in this third surge, patients hospitalized with COVID-19 started increasing more than seven weeks ago. This is the longest streak yet. Nationally, the U.S. reported 135,000-plus new COVID-19 cases just yesterday alone. The seven-day average is now at a record 123,000-plus cases. Meanwhile, there were 1,393 deaths, which put the seven-day average above 1,000 deaths for the first time since August 20th. Overall, 240,000 American fatalities. And according to COVID-19 tracking project data, the U.S. hit a record 61,000-plus patients currently hospitalized with COVID-19 just yesterday alone. The previous high was on April 15th. All of this comes following incredibly positive developments earlier this week when Pfizer announced that they have a vaccine in trials with a more than 90% effective rate and a therapeutic in development with regards to Eli Lilly. Earlier today, Congressman Brendan Boyle, a frequent guest on this program, spoke with my colleague uh, David Weston on Balance of Power. Take a listen to what the Democrat from Pennsylvania had to say about the impact that the COVID-19 cases and the developments on the health front might place on lawmakers to get to a fiscal stimulus deal in the lame duck. We'll be doing this long-stalled COVID relief bill. We right now have the worst numbers during the entire pandemic. It is badly needed. Um, We passed two different bills out of the House of Representatives. We think we've been close to agreement with Secretary Mnuchin and the administration. The Senate Republican side has been the real stumbling block. And so I hope now that the election is beyond us, we can finally uh, reach an agreement Kristen Hahn is a Democratic strategist and a partner at Rock Solutions. She is also the former Blue Dog Coalition Communications Director. And Brendan Buck is a partner at Seven Letter and a former spokesman and advisor to House Speaker Paul Ryan. They're with me for the hour. Thank you uh, for joining us. Kristen, let me start with you. Uh, You hear these cases, and it feels bigger than a specific moment. But given the volatility coming from the White House, Is this going to be up to the governors and who right now should be coordinating the response in what has become not just an American issue with the uptick in cases, but also now is penetrating and wreaking havoc across Europe? Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, I think, you know, we can talk all day long about the lack of leadership um, from the administration and the impacts we're going to have. But we've been told by the scientists over and over and over again, whether we wanted to believe it or not, that we were going to have this surge in the fall. And it is upon us. And I I don't see the administration, the current administration, um, doing anything more um, than they have been, unfortunately. 
you know, President-elect Biden has um, given some guidance. He's been um, putting his task force together. But there's so much, he, only so much he can do before he takes office. So, uh, you know, I think the governors will probably, a lot of it will be up to them. Um, and then once we have uh, a new president um, who is responsible in the White House, um, we can have more guidance as a nation. But uh, unfortunately, I don't see that happening uh, until January when he takes the office. Brendan Buck, yesterday alone, I was really struck by this. Yesterday alone, seven states, I want to make sure that I have them, Rhode Island, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Illinois, Montana, Wyoming, New Mexico, and Colorado, eight states, I correct myself, eight states yesterday alone had single-day record cases. Now, one of the, the things that I hear frequently is, well, we're doing more testing. The testing that we're doing does not keep up with the pace, and this is according to the data. The testing that we're doing does not keep up with the pace of the spread of the virus, and it's very clear when you look at the charts. Yes, we are doing more testing, and the Department of Health, or, or DHS, announced earlier this week that only about 31 million tests were issued last month, and there are more than 160 million tests available nationwide, so folks aren't even utilizing them. Uh, for whatever reason. But Brendan Buck, has this simply become a state issue, a state response issue? It's a state issue, and it's also an individual issue. And I think this is one of the fundamental problems that is going to be really hard for Joe Biden to solve. And it is the, the cultural resistance a lot of people have to taking this seriously. Governors are going to have to get more strict. Um, there's going to have to be new new restrictions put in place. And how people respond to those, I think, is going to be really important. Uh, Kristen said it. The president hasn't shown really any leadership on this. And, and as a result, you have a lot of people who don't take it seriously. That's not something that Joe Biden is going to be able to solve. In fact, Donald Trump, I think, was uniquely positioned to solve that. Some people who just naturally are resistant to government telling them what to do or how to live their lives uh, and instead of pushing back on that and providing clear guidance of what, what's safe and what's good and what's going to help you and your family and help your local economy, uh, he resisted. Um, you know, in, in fits and starts, he would do the responsible thing, but largely didn't. So, yeah, going forward, you're going to have to look to, go to governors to, to do things. I mean, it was great news that we've got a vaccine coming, but that is a long way off. And this is going to be a, a painful winter if uh, people continue to be resistant to, right. to what we need to do. Um, I, I hope it, it, it's not that bad. The one thing that, I'm, that I am, if there's any silver lining here, maybe it will get Congress to take this a little more seriously. Um, we came back from uh, the, the election, and it feels like we were right back where we were with uh, gridlock on, right. on a COVID bill, even yeah. though it's gotten so much worse. We're going to talk more about that coming up. And we should note, folks, this is not a uniquely American problem. Countries, UK, France, uh Germany, Israel, all having to deal with other countries as well, having to deal with an up increase in, in cases. More next with the panel. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Georgia, Georgia, the whole day through. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg. Radio, I feel like with the nation focusing on Georgia, we're going to be listening to a lot of Ray Charles, friends, over the next couple of weeks as we all prepare for January 5th special runoff election. It's Senator David Perdue, the Republican incumbent, against the Democratic challenger, John Ossoff. John Ossoff. And uh, 
So Senator Kelly Leffler, the other special uh, election, the Republican incumbent, uh, up against Reverend Raphael Warnock. That's, those are the stakes. Okay, so the math in the, in the Senate for next Congress is currently um, at 50 to 48. So this is interesting because obviously if the Democrats go for the two-point conversion and they get Ossoff and Warnock, then it's 50-50 split. And who gets the deciding vote in the Senate? The current vice president-elect, soon-to-be vice president, Kamala Harris. So there's a lot at stake. And that is specifically what Senator Kelly Leffler told supporters with regards to the upcoming upcoming runoff election. Here she is earlier. We have been through a battle, but we are not done yet. We are going to deliver the American dream. The road to socialism does not run through Georgia. The road to socialism does not run through Georgia. And this race, these races rather, are attracting national, national attention and a lot of money. I spoke with one source close to the president's re-election campaign who said that they are actually having conversations with Republican donors to fund these special runoff elections. Senator Marco Rubio, a Republican from Florida, who, mind you, is often named as a potential 2024 presidential contender, well, he went to Georgia, Atlanta, and he had this to say. This is literally, you know, the showdown of all showdowns in terms of politics and what it means. Rarely does a state, rarely do a people get the opportunity that you've been handed. And that is to determine in a non-presidential race the very direction of the country. Brendan Buck is with us, Kristen Hahn. Kristen, can the Democrats pull off an upset and go for the political two-point conversion? Yeah, I, I never say never. I think we've got an uphill battle, um, to say the least. But I think that, um, you know, the votes could be there. Georgia uh, seems to be trending our way this time. If you look at the, the presidential election, I believe Joe Biden um, will win that state. Um, but it's going to be tough. And it's interesting if we do end up pulling off the two-point conversion, what actually happens in the Senate. Uh, I believe the last time this happened, happened Trent Lott um, and um, – Tom Daschle actually came together over the course of several weeks to come up with rules about um, leading the Senate. Um, the one thing that's really interesting about this, regardless of whether or not Georgia um, goes to the Democrats, is how close the Senate will be and how narrow the Democratic majority is in the House. So Biden has already got his work cut out for him. The Speaker's already got his, uh, her work cut out for her. Um, so I, I, it seems like you should, there's nothing to be optimistic about, but in my mind, um, we may be forcing bipartisanship on some of these numbers, um, and for anything to get done, anything durable to get done, they're going to have to do it in a bipartisan fashion, um, regardless of the outcome of Georgia. Um, and you know, that's the first time this has happened in a really long time. It'll be very interesting to watch. Um, and I think businesses, um, should, you know, should maybe take a look at this and, um, be comforted that people are going to be forced to come together and 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 work on solutions to some of these difficult problems facing our country. I hear you on that point, but there's still a difference. And Brendan Buck, you know this from your time working for former House Speaker Paul Ryan. There's still a difference. I mean, two Senate seats. Uh, there's a huge difference, right, Brendan? I mean, I get, I I agree with Kristen's analysis, smart analysis, uh, with regards to Republicans not having, um, uh, still having a, a huge voice in terms of the Senate. But there's a difference between a 50-50 split and a 52-48 spread. Brendan. Oh, huge. 
Um, and, uh, you know, let me start off by saying, as a Georgia native, I'm very excited that Georgia is now <laughs> a politically relevant state, a swing state. <laughs> I'm glad we're all giving it its, it's due. Um, Where in Georgia yeah, are you from? Uh, the, the northern Atlanta suburbs that just gave Joe Biden the, the state. Wow. Uh, Al- Alpharetta, actually. Yeah. Wow. Okay, go ahead. Uh, so, uh, yeah, look, I, I'm, I'm laser focused on this. I think it's fascinating. Um, this should be uh, a – both of these races should be ones that Republicans can win. You have in Ossoff and Warnock two Democrats who are much further to the left than Joe Biden. Yes, yes, Joe Biden won this state, but these are not Joe Biden Democrats running. Really, all the Republicans need to do is sort of replicate what they did on Election Day. Uh, David Perdue won by three points or so. Just do that again, and, and, and you're fine, and, and you've got a, you know, a decent majority there. The problem is the president. Um, you know, he has uh, latched onto Georgia as a place where he wants to make the point on voter fraud or whatever it is he's claiming. And he has really caused the, the two senators there to, to jump in that pool with him. Yesterday, they... Uh, or maybe it was two days ago, they called on the Secretary of State to resign. Uh, crazy stuff. Like, that's just nonsense. There's no no reason for that. The, the election was carried out perfectly in Georgia. Um, but he's so obsessed with this, and they know that he doesn't really care about the majority. He doesn't care about them. If he were to turn on them and, and, and aim his fire at, at those two, it could have real consequences on turnout. So I think this is a, 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 these are two races that Republicans should win based on the, the character of the state and the two Democrats who are running. But as always, Donald Trump is the wild card. Brennan, let me follow up with you on this point. Do you think Georgia is coloring what comments from people like Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and, and, and uh, of course, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell are making in terms of the tone that they're taking with regards to President Trump's not conceding. Yeah, I, I can't explain what Mike Pompeo was saying, but generally, yes, Republican senators, and some of them have even sort of acknowledged this. Look, we always talk about what are Republicans so afraid of with the president. Here's your example. Here's exactly what we're talking about. Republican voters are much more loyal to the president than anybody else, any idea at this point, certainly any senator at this point. And they all know that if they basically upset him and cause him to go fly off the handle and turn his anger on Republicans in Georgia who aren't doing enough to overturn the election or whatever he comes up with, that could really depress turnout. I think it could depress. it's going to depress turnout either way. He's basically telling people in Georgia, and I've talked to a lot of folks down there who say, this is what Republicans are internalizing, that the elections are rigged, their vote doesn't matter, Democrats are going to steal it. When you tell people that enough, they're going to stop voting as much. So you know, there, there's that. But they all. But the bigger concern yeah. is that, and I think all of them are seeing it. It's going to turn turn into a bad thing for for the Republicans on the ballot. Fascinating. All right, much more coming up next. We head to Capitol Hill. I'm Kevin Cerulli. Panel sticks around. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. And a reminder, you can catch the Masters tomorrow and Friday right here in this time slot uh, on Bloomberg 99.1 uh, on your radio dial, Bloomberg Radio uh, 99.1 FM. And uh, I have off until Tuesday. 
So I will be back on Tuesday. But I'm staying put. You know, I'm doing a staycation. You know why? I can't go back to Delco with the COVID cases surging. Okay, I, I talked to my mom back in Delco today. I said, Mom, we can't do Thanksgiving with these with this virus surging. I mean, yes, I want to go to Linvilla Orchards and get the pumpkin pie and the apple pie just as much as anybody. But we got to respect this virus. So it's Veterans Day, and uh, someone from my neck of the woods back home, uh, to quote the great Al Roker, is Congresswoman Chrissy Houlihan. Um, she is an Air Force veteran, an engineer, an entrepreneur, and an educator. Uh, and we have a lot to catch up. She represents Pennsylvania's 6th Congressional District, which is just neighboring, I want to say, uh, Delaware County. And, and if you know Westchester, Pennsylvania, uh, that's where she's from. Congresswoman, welcome to the program. Happy Veterans Day, and thank Hi. you for your service. Thank you. And I will miss Linvilla Orchards oh. as well. And, and my district is Chesco. So it's nice to be on the program with somebody who understands where I'm from. Okay. I have to say the fact that you know Linvilla, Linvilla Orchards is amazing. Do you ever have the, the apple taffy? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's a family tra tradition to go. Uh, and I will miss it definitely this year. <laughs> but I'm glad that you are respecting the virus. I think that's really important for all of us to do. I appreciate that. Okay. let's. I want to talk to you about all the incredible work that you've done on this bipartisan bill that combats veteran suicide. Uh, but I do want to ask you quickly about fiscal stimulus, because that is on the minds of so many Americans, especially as this calendar year winds down and the COVID-19 cases uptake. And in addition to that, states across the country are having to uh, make some difficult decisions about having some more restrictions. Are you confident, Congresswoman, that there could be a lame duck fiscal stimulus deal? So I'm really glad that you're asking that question. I am. I would never say I'm confident about much in Washington. I'm a freshman, so I have only about 20 or so months of experience. But my experience is that this is always up for grabs until it's done. Um, but what I would say is that I am heartened to hear both the House and the Senate, and of course the President himself, having uh, at various points in time said that this is important. And I'm hopeful that during the lame duck that everybody will, you know, kind of get over all of what we need to get over and recognize that the people in our communities and in our Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and in this country really, as you mentioned, need uh, the support of the federal government. And uh, as you mentioned, particularly state and uh, kind of local municipalities are really under a lot of pressure uh, as the virus increases in, in um frequency and as their coffers have become, uh, you know, uh, em more empty over time. So I am very, very hopeful that things like the HEROES Act or the subsequent kind of HEROES 2.0 uh, will become the subject of the conversation once again. It's going to be remarkable. I mean, and so many, it, it's the markets uh, in addition to that. I mean, we always talk about the markets, but the markets are, are trying to figure out the timing of this and whether or not it's going to be after President-elect Joe Biden sworn in on January 20th, if there would be an another round. And just a final follow-up on this point, are, do you think that that could be in the cards where once Biden's sworn in, that another round of stimulus could come even before the vaccine the vaccine is in the full marketplace? Well, I, I hope that we don't have to wait as long as January or so yeah. to know the answer to that, because I don't think that the American people should have to wait that long. Um, it's been six or seven months since the very first HEROES Act was passed, which would have been the third stimulus bill. And uh, in those six or seven months, I've heard from 
my part of, you know, uh, Pennsylvania is purple. It's, you know, red counties and blue counties, and both of them are asking for this stimulus help. Uh, and my community is full of small and mid-sized businesses and individuals who are really struggling. And they, you know, they can't wait till January. So I, I sure hope we don't have to wait for whatever administration we're waiting for, which, of course, I believe to be a Biden administration. Okay, you were sponsored on a bill that uh, just got uh, into law, signed into law, uh, and it... Uh, it's a it, it it really helps combat veteran suicide uh, and this epidemic this uh, this other epidemic the veteran suicide epidemic today is veterans day uh, as we all know and tell me about what this law will do and what else still needs to be done Yes, uh, I'm a I'm a veteran and I come from a military family and have active duty uh, cousins right now as well. So this is kind of personal to me and uh, mental health writ large is very important, not just for the veteran population, but for the country at, at large. Uh, but we definitely have an issue with our veterans who are increasingly more and more likely to take their lives by suicide. Uh, and so this particular piece of legislation is called the IMPROVE Act. And I worked with uh, actually another freshman, uh, General Bergman, who is not a freshman to life, but a freshman to Congress on the Republican side. And we together put forward the version on the House side. And then there was a companion bill on the Senate side. And this bill basically recognizes that not all veterans are able to easily access the VA or are comfortable accessing the VA when they are at these really critical inflection points in their lives. And it provides opportunities for community-based support, you know, kind of a warm handoff to the VAs as well, uh, to make sure that we try to address the fact that, unfortunately, the uh, veteran suicide rate is going up. Uh, and we haven't figured out a way to uh, be helpful. This is a hopeful way to be more helpful through our community-based programs. Okay, so this is so incredibly important. As this veteran suicide rate increases, what can be done to support the brave men and women who serve when they come back to allow them to uh, transition back into civilian life, but also keeps up with them and supports them in a way that destigmatizes uh, this incredibly, incredibly nuanced issue? Well, you know, right now what we're doing together is part of what we can do, which is having conversations that say it is literally okay to not be okay. You know, to be able to articulate that to whomever's listening out there that it's okay if you're not feeling okay. Uh, and that this is not a stigma and that we should be just like if you have any other medical issue seeking help if you feel, uh, you know, that you need to talk to somebody, you should. Uh, another way that we're working on that is being able to find people where they are. And so a yes. great example of that is that I'm a I'm a uh, woman, obviously, and a veteran. Uh, women tend to not feel quite as welcome in VA systems as, as men do, and they are twice as likely as civilian women to commit suicide. And so one program that we have also gotten successfully uh, into uh, funding and and very shortly into law is about allowing a transition program for women as they exit the military to get uh, a training, for lack of a better word, to tell them about their opportunities and options in the VA so that hopefully they'll be able to access that care. And if they are having problems uh, with uh, suicidal ideations, that they're able to get the help they need. Congresswoman Chrissy Houlihan is with us, Democrat from Pennsylvania's 6th Congressional District, a veteran uh, and one of the uh, sponsors on a bill that was signed into law to help combat veteran suicide. You know, I want to follow up with the point that you just made, which is meeting people where they are. And I wish I had more time, and we have just under two minutes left, Congresswoman, but meeting people where they are. 
I'm sure we're going to hear from Dog Tag Bakery uh, coming up in the program, just an incredible financial literacy program for veterans once they come back. I want to give you the opportunity to, to highlight and spotlight an organization that helps veterans and meets them where they are, whether it's a gym, whether it's uh, a horseback farm, for example. Uh, there are so many incredible organizations that really meet veterans where they are, and I'm wondering what comes to mind for you. Well, you know, you kind of caught me off guard, but let me share with you something that my parents do. I mentioned that my dad is, is a vet. He served uh, 30 or so years in the Navy. And my mom and my dad, you know, uh, together served a career because you know that the, that the spouses and family members serve as well. And in their, in their retirement, they actually raise seeing eye dog puppies that also wow. uh, can be used to be service dogs as well. And so meeting a, a, a veteran where they are may be something as simple as providing a companion for them that's able to do tasks with them or able to be empathic, you know, to them and know when they're stressed and struggling. And so my parents are now on the ninth dog, I think, that they have helped wow. uh, raise from puppyhood into being able to graduate to be helpful uh, in, in, uh, with veterans or with those who are, uh, have uh, sight impairments. I love that. Congresswoman Chrissy Houlihan, Democrat from Chesco. <laughs> Thank you. And knows Villa Orchards. Go Eagles. We're going to beat the Giants, Congresswoman, this weekend. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, much more coming up next. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. It's time now for my favorite part of the program. What is on the panel's radar? Kristen Hahn, Democratic Strategist Partner. Congrats on the promotion. Partner at Rock Solutions and former Blue Dog Coalition Communications Director. And Brendan Buck, Partner at Seven Letter and former Spokesman and Advisor to Paul Ryan, House Speaker Paul Ryan. Uh, Kristen, what's on your radar? So we kind of covered that a little bit with uh, I'm really just interested to see with um, what happens in the, the House Democratic Caucus. Uh, if we're speaking about politics, it's going to be a really interesting time for our party going forward and how we legislate um, with a Biden president. But what I do want to really highlight, I work with an organization since it's Veterans Day, um, Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America. They're a nonpartisan, excellent organization. And this year, they just launched a program um, that I've been helping to promote. It's called the Quick Reaction Force. And the congresswoman was talking about veteran suicide being such a, uh, an epidemic. It's such a problem in this country. And this organization has... Um, People on call 24-7 for veterans and their families to help with any number of things um, that lead to uh, these high rates of veteran suicide. So I really just want to highlight them, the great work that they do with their CEO, Jeremy Butler. Um, anybody who needs help can go 
online to quickreactionforce.org, um, and and um, they can get you the help that you need. Um, and if you're looking for somewhere, if your listeners are looking for somewhere, something to do, somewhere to contribute or lend a hand um, to veterans in need across this country, IAVA.org, uh, it's such a great organization. So it is, that it's an is amazing what has been organization. on my mind all day today. It's yeah. an amazing organization. Thanks for that, Kristen. Okay, Brandon Buck, what's on your radar? Well, I don't have anything nearly as noble as that, so I apologize. No, uh, okay. I, you know, I'm I'm obviously uh, interested in, in in the future of, of the Republican Party as somebody who's yes. been uh, obviously disappointed in, in the uh, yeah in, in in the last four years. So I'm keeping an eye on the RNC, and you know, there's a lot of rumbling about Trump figures trying to insert themselves into the party infrastructure so that there is a lasting foothold. Uh, for the future. Uh, Ron McDaniel's term is up in January, and I'm really going to be interested to see what that looks like, what kind of personnel are put in place over there, and whether the, the family is really moving in. Who decides who's the chair of the RNC? Members of the committee. And who's on the committee? Like Super what type GOP. of people? Yeah, I, oftentimes they're, they're, they're donors or uh, organizers, uh, local um, local officials sometimes, it, 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 just people who have long been involved in, in party politics locally, typically. So does President Trump have better sway over the committee, or do other forces have better sway over the committee? Well, I think he has a lot of sway over everything in the party right now. So yeah. I think if he, if he were to weigh in on, on that, I think he would have a lot of sway. I don't, I don't know that um, you know, a family member themselves actually want want the role, but I wouldn't be surprised uh, if, if they made a run for it. Yeah, it's going to be really, really interesting. You have to be a member of the, the committee to be, a, um, to be the chair, but uh, those things can be handled. What do you mean? So, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to, to dig, but, I mean, I, from a process standpoint, when you say that they can be handled, that, that isn't a hard set rule is what you're saying. Well, I'm saying, I'm saying somebody can always be replaced as a member of the committee. Oh, uh, okay. It's fascinating, fascinating. Um, and so much to uh, to see on that front. Okay, here's what's on mm -hmm. my radar panel. Uh, Dog Tag Bakery. So, get this. So, I, uh, my friend Tammy uh, calls me up today and goes, Kevin, go to Dog Tag. I say, I'm, I'm always at Dog Tag getting my coffee uh, in Georgetown. And... And I said, but today it's raining. And she goes, well, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris is at Dog Tag Bakery uh, over in Georgetown. And I said, no, the one time I'm not there. Uh, and if you don't know, I've talked about it before, uh, but Dog Tag Bakery is partnered with Georgetown University. And what they do is incredible work. They have uh, a, a program for financial literacy for uh, veterans and their families to work, take business courses, uh, entrepreneurial classes, uh, as well as training in this incredibly awesome cafe environment. It's not just a bakery. They have incredible cakes and, and whatnot, but they also have sandwiches and breakfast sandwiches and everything. And it's a way to transition veterans to start some small businesses of their own. Um, I have been just completely blown away and inspired by the work that they do, uh, whether, you know, people, some of their graduates of this program uh, that have done, that they've done this, uh, have made everything from farming to uh, honey to hot sauces. I mean, it's really, really incredible. And then they go on to sell them at stores all over uh, the country. Uh, it's also, of course, the site where now President-elect Joe Biden met with Barack Obama for the first time together since they had left office in a social setting a couple of months ago. It might not have been the first time together, but it was a, a notable meeting um, ahead of Biden's run. 
and uh, the vice president-elect was there today. So Megan Ogilvie's here. She's the CEO of DogTag. Megan, uh, what did the vice president-elect order? Um, So she ordered uh, four cupcakes, two chocolate, and two uh, vanilla, a latte, and then just a regular coffee. Uh, Okay, what kind of latte? But uh, I don't know, actually. I should double check. Um, I don't know what kind of milk. Yeah, um, find out what type of milk. Give us the details. I know, we're not free bakery, so it had to be, you know, one of the, an oat milk or a good old-fashioned milk. (laughs) Okay, so why, why do you think she went there today? I mean, all kidding aside. Um... You know, we've had this current administration reach out, and um, and now, you know, you know, um, Vice President-elect um, show up today. I, I think we're nonpartisan. I think yeah. everyone in this country understands the value of of the one percent that serves, um, and I don't think this is a political discussion. Um, again, we are. We, you know, you can come to the bakery, you can meet our alumni, you can hear the stories of of those that come through our program to redefine what purpose now means as they're transitioning out. How do you redefine success? Um, and how do you go through this cultural humility of recognizing you're going from the military life to now the civilian world? And, and it's really this challenge. And as the 99% that's fortunate to be protected by the 1%, you know, we have this opportunity to serve. So, you know, I think our, our organization, just like a lot of other non-veteran organizations, um, you know, we're a place of hope. We're a place of empowerment. Um, and that's something that, you know, both sides of the aisle can agree on and want to support. And so we're just exceptionally grateful um, that, you know, all the administrations across the board have, have made an effort to come and visit and, and, and learn who's in our program and what we do. How has COVID-19 and um, the, I just got, you know, I know you guys are having your, your upcoming graduation mm-hmm. ceremony via Zoom, for example, but how have mm-hmm. you guys had to rework in the wake of the pandemic and how have you been impacted by it? We run an in-person fellowship. It's a five for five months, twice a year. 15 fellows in person, a classroom that sits right above the bakery. We have Georgetown professors, you know, teach six courses, of, you know, six hours a week. We have rotations within our organization. We have guest speakers come in. Um, and now we had to pivot that within one week to be completely virtual. Um, and then the bakery itself, you know, within about 15 to 16 days went from operating to shutting down. Um, and we were down for two months. And so um, you'll share this for small businesses, you'll hear this for nonprofit. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that you have to innovate. You know, you have to find a way to push through. So we, you know, we've had our program uh, pushed to become 100% virtual. And when you look at the, you know, demographic we serve of veterans that have service-connected disabilities, military spouses, and military caregivers, the two biggest issues of transition are, are isolation and lack of community. And and that's really driven by the, the lack of purpose. You know, you, you serve your country and you volunteer for that, whether it's home and abroad. And now you're out and, and you know, you're not in the same, uh, you know, military community. And so, you know, COVID has challenged us, but we realize the need for connectivity is even greater. Our program is still having a, a similar impact differently. Um, and I think for our bakeries prospects, I mean, it's forced us to pivot to be online heavy. Yeah. You know, we've innovated. We've learned how to ship cakes. We've learned how to, you know, we now send sticky buns and uh, cinnamon rolls. And we're now, you know, building out our online platform. Right. We have a big holiday uh, basket push. So yeah. um, like every other organization, small business, we're, we're innovating because we have to. And our community yeah. that we're so fortunate to be part of has supported that. Okay. Megan Ogilvie, the CEO of Dogtag Bakery. Thank you so much for calling in. Happy Veterans Day, Megan. Uh, appreciate all the work uh, that organizations like that do all around this country. Thank you to the panel. Thank you to the lawmakers. Thank you to John Authors. I'm Kevin Cirilli. This is Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. 
held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.